I'll invite you to turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians. <coughs> Sorry, if you, yeah. Ephesians chapter 5. Today we'll be in verse 20 and 21. But let me read from verse 1 of chapter 5 to get a context. <clears throat> this is the word of God as it comes to you from the English Standard Version. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish, joke, no foolish talk, no crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words because, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is, if, it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts. Verse 20 to 21, which is our text for today. Giving thanks always, and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, your word has been read. We now ask for your aiding through your spirit, that your spirit may convict us of sin, of judgment, of righteousness, and that we may be changed from the inside out, those who are in Christ. 
and those who are not in Christ, we pray that this may be the day of salvation, that the eyes may be opened to see their spiritual destitution, the spiritual bankruptcy, that they need the Lord Jesus Christ more than they need anything else in this world. In fact, more than life itself. And now we ask, oh God, that you may enable me to be clear, keep me from error, from um, um, but a, a, a vessel, a clay, a made of clay, and I'm bound to err. I pray for my hearers, that they may not be distracted, but be attentive to the word of God and hear you speak. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, for those who have joined us for the first time today, we have been in the book of Ephesians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, statement by statement, and this has been true for us in the past two years. And today we see ourselves in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, verse 20 to 21, which uh, really paints a picture of gratitude or thanksgiving. Thus, my sermon today is a life of gratitude. Now, I just want to give you as a brief background of the book of Ephesians. It is divided, it's got six chapters. The first three chapters, the Apostle Paul is laboring on doctrine, sound doctrine, sound teaching. He's speaking about redemption. He's speaking about predestination. He's speaking about sanctification. He's speaking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and how these all work together for the gift of salvation. And really what God has done and in the last three chapters, from verse 4 to 6, the Apostle Paul now speaks of imperatives. So what is the Christian meant to do in light of what God has done? Paul does not start with imperative. He does not start saying, do this. No, no, no. He presents the truth to the people and he says, this is what God has done. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In chapter 2, he says that, verse 1 to 3. And he says, but God, being rich in mercy, with the great love that which he loved us, made us alive. Those who are in Christ have been made alive in Christ Jesus. There is spiritual life. There is God's spirit in them such that they can live according to what God would like them to live by and how. So chapter 5 in Ephesians, Paul is really talking about now the Christian must walk in love. This is what God has done, so this is what you're meant to do. In verse 1, he talks about being imitators of God. As children of God, picture you being a child, sitting at a table, looking at your parents. And there they are, instructing you how, on how to live. This is what God is doing to his children. We are to be children of the light. We are to be children of God. Imitate what God has, uh, has said we should, we should do and shun evil. 
which is why he continues talking about but sexual immorality and all impurity and all covetousness must not be named amongst you. We have covered that at BRBC. And in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the context which we're in, from verse 17 going to verse 21, the Apostle Paul really is still exhorting the Christians. He's saying, therefore do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord and do not get drunk with wine. We have explored drunkenness. Uh, we, we, we investigated what drunkenness was. We investigated what the Bible says about drunkenness and what the Bible says about drinking. And now we are in the section where Paul, after he speaks about a life of, uh, a life of praise and worship, uh, singing psalms, addressing one another in hymns and psalms, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, he is now saying, give thanks. Giving thanks always. For everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul changes gear. From singing psalms, hymns, he now says a Christian should be giving thanks always. For everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting one another. There's a picture of servitude. You are to come under one another as the church. And this will set the tone for the next section that he teaches from verse 22, where he talks about wives, submit to your husbands, etc., etc. But we won't be going on to that one today. We'll be in verse 20 to 21. And as I said earlier on, my, my sermon text is called A Life of Gratitude. And I want us to see three things in this text. Number one, I want us to see that the Christian must be grateful. Number two, I want us to see that the Christian must be grateful to God. There's, there's a way in which the Apostle Paul puts it, where he, where he points to God as the one whom we should be grateful to. And the last point that I want us to see is the, the result of being grateful to God. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was looking over the past year where we had COVID-19. Some of us lost loved ones. Some of us got the COVID. Some of us were on the brink of death because of the COVID. The economic situation was upside down. People lost jobs. People became depressed. People lost their way. Some were suicidal. It, it's a picture really of what life is because life is broken. But Paul, as he's writing to the, to the, to the Ephesians, makes it a point to point that the life of the Christian is, should be marked by gratitude. Let us look together at the first point. The Christian must be grateful. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything. Giving thanks always. When we meet people on the streets or we talk to people or we greet people, the, the, the response is usually mawan. 
Oh, apana chikufamba. Basically, meaning that things are, are tough and things are not going well. While that may be true, friends, I want to propose to you that really this is an implication. The implication or the posture of saying, Mawan, 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 is a sign of ingratitude. It's a sign of ingratitude. Because when you say Mawan all the time, you're pointing, you're painting a picture of saying that actually. You know, there's nothing good in my life. There's nothing that God has done. And in fact, some people are so ignorant of this that they use it in their daily language. They've, they've even forgotten what it means. Say, my one, that's the posture. And friends, we live in times where one can dedicate their lives to complaining about the government, about the situation in Zimbabwe. Complaining about your circumstances. Oh, I've not made it in life because my father was like this. I've not made it in life because my mother did this. It's complain, complain, complain. And Paul is saying, that is not the way of Christ. Paul is, is offering a, a, a counter-cultural solution to the believer and to the non-believer. He's saying instead of always being a, a complaining person, a whining person, give thanks. In everything. Give thanks in everything. Wow. Have you ever thought about that? To say even in the depths of the depths, when you're in the valley, when, when, when life has sort of caved in, give thanks. Be grateful. And the word that Paul uses in the Greek is used to describe what we, 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 we call the Lord's table. Where Christians are to give thanks as they partake of the Lord's table. My friends, we see that complaining and ingratitude are really a heart issue. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 when he's healing a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute and the Pharisees came to him and said, well, you're doing signs uh, under Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Jesus rebukes them. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. Matthew 12, 34 to 35. So friends, we see that it is with an ungrateful Christian or an unbeliever, the ingratitude is seen in the speech. It comes to the surface or even in the actions. Speech that is saturated with entitlement. Speech that is reeking of self-righteousness or even oozing with bitterness. Have you ever met people who are ungrateful? <laughs> if you just sit around unbelievers, it won't take long before you are stumbled by the conversation. It won't take long for you even, if you stay long enough, you will join that conversation and you'll be a partaker where Paul says, do not be partakers with them. Earlier on, 
expose works of darkness. Paul is calling us to something that is higher. And we cannot do it in our own power. We need the grace of God to live a life that is separate. To live a life that is holy. And if you think about bitterness, self-righteousness, and even entitlement, you see that they are interlinked. If you're not thankful or grateful, you will complain or you feel entitled. Or even to be convinced that the world or the people owe you something. There's also bitterness that grows and gives birth to anger, to jealousy, to malice, to murder. Look at that chain. If you are not thankful, if your posture is not thankfulness or gratitude in your life for what God has done in your, in your life and where you are now, this chain will grow. This chain will grow. And the gospel as a result will suffer. Because if you, if you are bitter, you won't be able to preach the gospel. You won't even think about lost souls. If you focus on your situation right now, if, if we were to all stop what we're doing and start focusing on the COVID-19 or the Zim government, the gospel will not spread. Whole communities will not be changed. Our families will not be changed. Our families will not be transformed. Listen to what John Kelvin says as he comments this. He says, he means that this is a pleasure, talking about being thankful, which, ought never, which we ought never to lose its relish. That this is an exercise of which we ought never to be wary. Innumerable benefits which we receive from God yield fresh cause of joy and thankfulness. At the same time, he reminds believers that it will argue ungodly and disgraceful sloth if they shall not always give thanks. And their whole life shall not, shall not be spent in study and ex exercise of praising God. And friends, if we are not thankful, we are not praising God. If we're not grateful, we're not worshiping. We have not even started. Paul is writing to these guys in Ephesians. He's saying, I'm calling you, God is calling you to a life contrary to what you know. Listen to some texts that talk about gratitude from the scriptures. Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul was grateful for other believers. That's a challenge. That's a challenge nowadays. That's a challenge because of sin, because of jealousy, because of malice. Are you grateful for the sister that you have in the Lord, the brother who maybe is more gifted than you, who maybe is excelling? Or are you grateful that your neighbor has built a bigger house? Would you go and say congratulations with a pure heart? That's a challenge. That's a challenge which we're facing. Or when your brother seems to be excelling in business, 
He's making money. And there's just something in your heart that is fighting. Paul is saying, give thanks. And he gives us the solution. In the preceding verse, it says, you must be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. A life of a Christian is supposed to be a life of worship. If you are singing the spiritual songs and psalms and, and worshiping and praising, you have no time for gossip. You have no time for sin. You have no time even to be viewing some of these senseless things that people are, uh, advertise on social media. And that's a challenge. That's a challenge that the Apostle Paul gives us. Colossians 3.15 And let the peace of Christ rule you a rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. My friends, I'm thankful for the year. I'm grateful for all the things that God did. Whether they were bad or good in my, you know, in what I perceived to be good or bad. God is still good. I'm thankful. And should be seen in my life. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Friends, we live in a time where many Christians do not even know what reverence and awe is. Where you come knowing you're a sinner, knowing that you don't deserve salvation, you come before a holy God and you cry out. We live in a day and age where people are claiming it's a grace that God has not struck people with lightning. It's a grace. To the Christian, I would like to ask you this question. What are you thankful for in your life? What should you be thankful in your life that are not, but you're not? Is your life marked with gratitude or are you a known grumbler and a complainer? And if so, I give you the words of Paul in Philippians 2, 14 to 15. Do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine as lights in the world. What about to the non-Christian? To the non-Christian today, the lack of gratitude in your life is showing. And this is the heart of the issue. It can only be taken to Christ. I cannot help you. Your friends cannot help you with your ingratitude. Even the government, even if the government was to be okay tomorrow, you will still be ungrateful. Even if your situation, even if God gave you all the money in the world for you to build your greatest desires, you would still be ungrateful. It's a heart issue. Repent and believe in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, repent and believe in Christ. For salvation. You need to be saved from your selfish desires such that indeed there can be a turnaround in your worldview. If you don't believe me, what happened in Numbers 11 and 12? 
The Israelites were complaining about manna. God, we are tired of manna. This bread, this flour, give us some meat. <laughs> give us some meat. We are tired. God, we are tired of these power cuts. We are tired of power cuts. We are tired of lack of water. God, we are tired. The, the, the food is expensive. What happened to the Israelites? God gave them the craving for quail till it came out of their nostrils and they died. He said, all right, you are not grateful for what I'm giving you. I'll give you quail and you will eat until you die. And that's what happened. Friends, we must be careful in our lives. We must be careful in how we present ourselves to people, especially the non-believing world, even in our interactions. I'm not saying you must be, you know, <laughs> insanely positive about everything. If something is broken, it's broken. But what I'm saying is that view everything through the lens of the scripture. View everything from what God has said in his word and what God is doing. And friends, perhaps that's why you're miserable. Perhaps that's why you're bitter. You have no Holy Spirit and you're not a Christian. I call you this morning. Think about your life. Repent and believe in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, I want us to see that the Christian must be grateful. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God. The Christian must be grateful to God. The Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here, if believe it or not, is in prison. And he happens to be writing to believers. He's someone who is in, in a dire situation. But he's writing from prison, he's writing to a church, and he's saying, giving thanks always to God. Listen, I'm in a very bad situation, but I'm worshiping God as I'm in this bad situation. Says, giving thanks to, look at how he puts it. Paul could have said, just giving thanks to God. No, no, no. He says, giving thanks to God, and he makes a distinction. The Father, there's a person there, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is pointing to the fact that our God that we worship, the Christian God, is a triune God. Of course, he does not mention the Holy Spirit there, but he wants to show you that our God is one, but is three distinct persons whose wills are not different from one another. One in essence, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. We have Jehovah's Witnesses who deny the Trinity. We have many people whom we know who deny that God is three in one. That the Father is in heaven and the Son is in heaven too on the right hand of the Father. And that the Spirit is here with us. They deny the Holy Trinity. But Paul is showing them. 
that there's a distinction. We must be grateful to God, but it's important also that Paul, being a systematic theologian, is careful to highlight these things. He sees that there's an appropriateness in the Christian faith and orderliness. Paul is wanting the Ephesians to worship God rightly. There is a way that the scriptures tell us to worship God. And we need to know them, friends. This is not only for your theology professors or for my pastor or for those who go to these, you know, schools. But this is taught in the scripture. Paul wants us to know that we must be giving thanks to God, the Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit, he has not added that. It's not in the text. But reconciling that with the whole counsel of Scripture, we see that this is how things should be. And I'm not saying, friends, you can't pray to Jesus. You can and I'm not saying that you can't ascribe greatness to the Holy Spirit. You can. That is not my position. My position here is just to offer what the scriptures teach. A template. Remember what Jesus, what Jesus says to his disciples. When the disciples came to Jesus, a rabbi or teacher or master teaches how to pray. And Jesus says, this is then how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven. He didn't say, oh, pray to me. <laughs> he said, our Father who art in heaven. I must say that it's sin to pray to Jesus, friends. I cannot even play that role. Neither can I say when you pray. Because when you are praying, you're praying to your God in your closet. I won't be there. We must be grateful to God. We must understand the Trinity. We must understand the orderliness of the God. I was going to go into this, but I think I'll cut it short. It is, this, it is with this reality in mind, friends, that the Christian must continue in gratitude. To God, we must study the scriptures studying the doctrine of God, how God is to be worshipped, who God is, such that we may worship God appropriately. And not all worship is worship, friends. Not all worship is true worship of the living God. Test everything by the scriptures. Test all the spirits. First John 4. Test the spirits. But friends, secondly, I want us to see that when Paul is saying be grateful to God, he also highlights the me mediatory work of Christ. How Christ is the mediator. Look at how he puts it. Give thanks always. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no name under heaven which man must be saved. Acts 
There is no name which we go to God the Father. You can try the whole day to say, well, I want to formulate my own path to be reconciled to God. I want to do my works. So your works cannot even get above the ceiling. You need Christ. You need Jesus. The name that charms our fears. As we said earlier on, the name that bids our sorrows cease. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we are to go to give thanks. Even that's why we, when, we, when, we, when we pray kids at the table, when, when dad or mom or whoever is praying, say grace, our Father in heaven. All right, you're thanking God for the daily bread. You're, you're, you're asking to forgive you of your trespasses. What do you say at the end? Some say for Christ's sake. Some say in the name of Jesus. And we have to understand that, friends, this is an office of Christ. This is a designated office. He is the priest in the order of Melchizedek. He is interceding. For you, if you are in Christ, that is the only hope you have. Don't ever look to yourself and think that you're the one who saved yourself. When God, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes to judge the world, because we're not told God the Father will judge, neither are we told the Spirit will judge, we are told God the Son will judge the world when he comes to judge only those who believed in him. Only those whom the Father gave him in other texts, as it says. Will be the ones who said, okay, we are going home. And the Apostle Paul says, we will meet him in the air in Thessalonians. And we will be like him. It's important, friends. It's important that this mediatory work is through Christ. The efficient work, the sufficient work, the reconciliation between God and man must be through Christ Jesus and such that flows our worship and our thanksgivings to God the Father. It's important to hold on to this, friends. It's important not only to say it with our mouths, but to believe in our hearts. That Christ indeed is our only mediator. There is no mediator between God and man. No other. Muhammad, Buddha, ancestors, they are dead. Idols are not living. They are carved images. They are wood. They are dead. But Christ is living. He ascended into heaven and is coming back. He is returning. His work of mediation has not stopped. And God continues to reconcile people to himself through Christ. When sinners come, 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 and they believe. <laughs> What a miracle. Salvation. It's the greatest miracle that you can ever think of. When a devil worshiper 
is turned to be a Christ or God worshiper. Are we thankful this morning, friends? <laughs> Are we thankful for the new year? Another chance to glorify God. Another chance to live according to, to God's glory. Listen to Luke chapter 1, verse 33. And he shall, this is talking about Christ, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Nothing. Ajipel, it's eternal. That's why for us as Christians, we shouldn't fear death. And I'm not teaching being suicidal, no. I'm not teaching that, well, you know, just be indifferent. But what I'm teaching is what the scriptures teach. That those who are in Christ, those who die in Christ, those who believed in Christ and they know that they are saved, will be with the Lord. That's what the scriptures teach and we must believe. We have no other hope. We must, we have no other hope. There, there is no way else we can stand. There is no other ground. All other ground is sinking sand. The moment we miss that, friends, this morning I want you to, to remember one thing as you go home. There is no other place that which you can be saved or that is a safe landing place than the Lord Jesus Christ. We always think about <laughs> aeroplanes landing in airports. Ah, safe landing. That's not the ultimate safe landing. The ultimate safe landing is to be in Christ Jesus. And to know that if you die today, you'll be with the Lord. And those who don't will be in hell, friends. It's real. I'm not scaring anyone. Hell is real. Point number three, I want us to see the result of being grateful to God, which is verse 21. Let me read from verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another. Out of reverence in Christ. So, so uh, sorry, reverence for Christ. So the Apostle Paul is, moves from saying we must be grateful and thankful to God. And, and, and he gives the results. What is the result? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's, he's addressing the church. He will then address the family. He will then address wives and husbands and then he will address the children and parents. And then he will go to the bond masters, the bond servants and masters. But here he's still focusing on the church. He's saying if the church, if the, the church of Christ is grateful, if we are a thankful church as individuals and collectively, we will be able to submit to one another as Christians out of reverence to Christ. What is he talking about? When he talks about submission, 
He is actually saying that you will count other people before yourself. You will not seek to make your point the best known point. In fact, most churches right now are in disarray and they are fighting because they have not obeyed this. <laughs> if, if, if you go to the root of the problem, they've got the gospel wrong, they've got the application wrong. And that's why they are fighting amongst themselves. When you hear politics, oh, there was a split, AFM this, AFM that. It's just a simple misunderstanding which changes everything. You don't understand the gospel. You don't understand what the scriptures teach. You're not paying attention to what the scriptures teach. You will be in disarray. Paul is saying, when we live in a life, when I'm thankful for brother Felix, when I'm thankful for brother Angie, for Brian, for Jackie, we will be able, when we have our differences, however sharp they may be, to submit to one another and say, okay, no, brother and sister, I understand your position. I understand that this is, you don't believe in this. Okay. Submitting and say, no, we won't fight over this, brethren. Let us agree to disagree. But let us be eager, as in Ephesians 4 verse 3, to maintain the unity of, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The church of God is the buttress of truth. But at the same time, this is where we must experience the ultimate reconciliation in Christ. This is where ultimate, the, the world likes preaching about peace, you know, World Health Organization, all these great NGOs, all peace in the world, all peace in the world. They're they, they talking about peace, but they've got one important missing link, and that is Christ. We have Christ. <laughs> we have the Lord Jesus. I should be able to love my brothers and sisters like Christ. Submitting to one another. And the submission to one another is out of reverence for Christ. So it is not so much so that I'm submitting to my brother uh, Tafazwa because, you know, I've got nothing to do or I've got nowhere else to go. But it's out of reverence for Christ. You see how it changes everything. You see how our worship, how our lifestyles are molded around Christ. Such that whatever I do, I do it to the glory of God in Christ. If I'm to come to the church this morning, maybe I'm depressed. Maybe I don't feel like preaching. It doesn't matter how I feel. Why am I in church? It's for Christ. Why do I keep on preaching the gospel to people who don't like me? For Christ. Why was Paul shipwrecked? Why was Paul run out of towns? Why was Christ crucified? For the sake of the gospel. 
And friends, I can give us one or two examples. Practical examples. The first one. In the church of God. As a family. Let's say you you don't agree with what the decoration looks like. It's not wise and it's not it's sinful to make a meal out of it yes you've got a point you do but it's you're complaining and you slandering everyone in the church because of that is bringing a strain on the gospel bring a strain to Christ and it shows actually a heart that is not thankful let me give an example for next week. What about in the home? <laughs> wives. Paul addresses wives first. says, wives, submit to your husbands in everything. How many houses are broken today? How many societies are in disarray? How many children are fatherless or motherless? Because people fail to heed the scripture. And friends, this is all tied in to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not lose this. That we who are sinners, who are dead in trespasses and sins, had no hope. In time, God sent his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believeth will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. Conceived by the spirit. Born under the law. Born into this world. That's where his humiliation started. He became man. God became man. So that he could do that which we cannot do for ourselves. So that he could die on a cross. People say, well, this is a white man's religion. Friends, it's not a white man's religion. Jesus was not white. This is is true. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And he died in our place on the cross. And he cried out, Lama, Lama, uh, sorry, Lama Sabatani. He is crying out to, to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, the sins were poured upon him. And those who trust in him, their sins are on him. And thus, your life can be different. In Christ. When, when we grasp that reality and the Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts, softens our hard hearts who love sin, we will see the grace of God. And that's why the Christian faith is about, it's about faith, friends. It's not something that we can see, you know, physically, you know. It is by faith. And that faith is a gift from God, such that it's, it, it, the faith in itself is total. 
Of course, we may struggle. We may waver in our lives. We may backslide. But God remains true. Friends, this is a life of gratitude. Are you grateful this morning? Amen.